Welcome to Coffee with the College, a podcast brought to you by the American College of Healthcare Executives, Wisconsin chapter. Our goal is for listeners to find this podcast as relaxing as coffee with friends and just as comfortable as our guests and observers banter about the questions that are on all of our minds. I'm your host, Janet Schultz. I'm Chief Information Officer at a human services company called MyPath. Our observers are David Lally, Director of Community Health and Advocacy at Hospital Systems Health System, Wisconsin, and Madeline Bushman, who is an Operations Manager in the Mayo Clinic Health System, Department of Family Medicine. David, this is your first time with us. Can you say hello so our listeners get to know your voice? Uh, thank you, Janet, and hello, everyone. I'm excited to be on this podcast, Coffee with the College. And Madeline, can you say hello, please? Hello. Happy to be here today. If you've listened to these podcasts before, you're familiar with the format, which we're switching up a bit today. Coffee with the College listeners asked us to do more features on healthcare leaders and how their careers evolved. So each quarter, we'll be doing a quarterly spotlight. In these spotlights, you'll learn about the career path of a rising or established healthcare leader. And we'll also add some fun questions to the mix. Our inaugural spotlight guest today is Damon Boatwright. Damon is president and chief executive officer of Hospital Sisters Health System. He's been in that role since June of 2021 and had a diverse career leading up to this most recent post. Welcome, Damon. Hello, everyone. And I am so glad to be here with you today. Well, we're glad you're with us as well. To get us started, Damon, can you tell us about your career path and how that culminated in your current role at HSHS? In terms of my career path, let's try to sum this up as quickly as I can, because I know that you have other questions that you might want to get to. But I think probably the most key salient points to give to your listeners uh, is that, you know, I... I think I'm here right now in my current role, and as I think back to how I got here, I would describe it as divine intervention. And what I mean by that is when I graduated from college, I went to the Citadel Military College of South Carolina, go Bulldogs, very proud of my alma mater. But when I graduated from undergraduate school, I was thinking that I would go into law school. Not many people know that, but I actually wanted to go into law school. And I had applied to one school at the time coming out of undergraduate school, and I was put on the waiting list. And in that period of time of waiting and deciding on whether or not I was going to take the LSAT all over again or just wait to see if I would miraculously uh, get in, on the steps of a Catholic church in Charleston, South Carolina, I met a woman by the name of Karen DeMarco, and she saw my class ring on my finger at the time and said, I would like to introduce you to my husband 
who happens to be a 1967 graduate of the same institution you graduated from, which was in 1994. I'm dating myself, but it was 1994. And she introduced me to her husband. To make a long story short, um, he was in the hospital management business. He worked for a for-profit healthcare company at the time and was a division president. Um, and he invited me to lunch and I took him up on that offer. He told me about the world and the career of hospital administrators and said, if I went back to school for a degree in hospital administration, he would see to it that I would get my first opportunity in the healthcare industry. And so with that chance introduction, if you will, I decided to go into hospital administration instead of a degree in law. Um, and he was true to his word. Um, he gave me my first opportunity working in a small rural hospital outside of Charleston, South Carolina, in a town called Walterboro, uh, South Carolina. And I was then on my way pursuing my career in hospital administration. And so I uh, moved around the country a good bit. I left graduate school and then went to Florida, and then from Florida to Virginia, Virginia to Missouri, Missouri to Kansas, and then uh, Kansas to Wisconsin, and then from Wisconsin to my current role uh, that I'm in right now. Uh, now, what I always tell people is I moved around a lot, not because I couldn't hold down a job. I don't want anybody thinking I couldn't hold down a job, and particularly my mom, if you're listening, mom, it's not because I didn't, I couldn't hold down a job. Uh, but more importantly, I moved up as I moved around, and I am so glad I did because every single move I made created an array of different experiences that I never had before. And some experiences that I had in the past, it became foundational experiences so that I can enhance it moving forward uh, and hopefully bring more value to the places I lived. And then, not to mention, uh, because of all of those moves, uh, I was able to meet uh, my now current wife, uh, who is a full-time practicing OBGYN uh, physician. So Damon, um, can I ask a follow-up question? So you talked about that you moved up as you moved around. From a career point of view, in terms of moving up, were you also having to raise your hand to get those moves to happen? Or were you approached because of what people saw in you and the potential they saw in you? It was a little bit of both. So very interesting follow-up question. The, the few times that I actually raised my hand for an opportunity to move up uh, within an organization, I was advised, interestingly enough, by my mentors, my role models uh, at the time, and people I looked up to. I was told at the time that this might not be the best opportunity for you. So I, I didn't do it often, just to be honest. Uh, but the times that I did, 
you know, I was told at the time that either someone else was better positioned uh, for that role, or I might have needed a little bit different set of experiences to be successful in that role, or I just needed to wait my time a little bit more patiently. And interestingly enough, that then turned around to a better opportunity uh, in a short period of time thereafter that then someone asked me to move uh, and move into a different opportunity if I was willing to do it. But throughout it all, um, I think I had other individuals who saw something in me um, that I may not have saw exactly in myself at the time, and they were instrumental each time in moving me around. Thank you, Damon. That is, it's really interesting to hear your career path. Um, you mentioned your mom in your introduction, and I'm, I'm sure your mom is proud of you. Um, so that leads me to my question. Um, what would you consider to be your proudest leadership moment so far in your career? Wow, that's a, another great question. The one that comes to my mind is, is one that happened in the state of Wisconsin, interestingly enough. And I was doing a building project. So building a new medical office building, which anybody listening in, in, the, in the healthcare field, I'm sure they are quite familiar with that, building projects, building hospitals, building clinics, et cetera. Well, I was tasked with building a new medical office building, and I secured the money uh, from my organization to uh, build an over uh, you know, $100 million, $100 million plus uh, dollar investment into a state-of-the-art, innovative, brand-new medical office building um, in a location close to where the existing medical office building was. Lo and behold, it turns out the building that was already there happened to be um, an older grocery store that wasn't occupied much. Uh, during that particular time in an area and location that was a uh, low-income area. And come to find out that although there were promises to build another grocery store in that vicinity, as we were closer to the date when we were going to actually move on our project, it became evident that that grocery store, the second grocery store that was going to be built, wasn't going to be built in time. And so that was then going to cause technically a food desert, a food desert at the time. And being the kind of organization, um, and it was, a, it was a Catholic organization at the time, uh, being an organization that was values-led and really focused on its community, um, doing something like that would have been clearly inconsistent uh, with those uh, values itself. But we had a dilemma. We had a dilemma because we put a lot of money into it to begin with, drawings and designs, and we were ready to move. But we heard community support, community support not to do it, like not to move forward with doing this and really asking me to pause that particular project. And so having been one of the individuals behind the scenes who got the approval to do this, I had to do something that I think many people probably thought at the time was a bit surprising, maybe even shocking to some. Um, but with humility, 
after listening to all all of the key stakeholders now, not just the stakeholders closer to me, but all of the stakeholders, including the community stakeholders, I went back to the board and I went back to the organization and said these words. I was wrong. I was wrong about trying to build it in this specific location, not because the location isn't a good, good location, but because the events that have transpired since making that initial decision, if we were to follow it through, it can cause unintended consequences and have negative implications on the very population we're trying to help. We're trying to help. And yes, I do know that we have spent money already in this particular investment, but it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to do the right thing. And so maybe the unimaginable happened. I then halted construction two days before the bulldozer was supposed to show up and said, we are now not going to uh, disturb that particular site. We're going to relook at our plans and try to design plans working alongside the community itself and put this in a location that works for both parties. And so I'm very proud of the fact that I think I was able to listen um, by leading. I mean, and, and leading in a way that says you met all stakeholders matter, not just the ones that are funding the project or actively involved in helping us build the project, but the people who actually should be benefiting from the project, you matter as well. And we want to make sure that we have a project uh, that meets all of the community needs as best as we can. Um, and so that pause was well worth it um, now that we got everybody on board to move in that direction. Wow, that is really a great story. With 20 plus years of being in the healthcare industry, I'm sure you've had many great achievements. So thank you for sharing one of those with our listeners. Uh, we hear that the great ones are not always defined by their achievements, but by their setbacks and how they rebounded from that. So on that note, what would you consider your greatest setback as a leader? So the greatest, one of the greatest setbacks uh, that I also believe became a setup uh, for, I think, better success uh, moving forward. I remember uh, back in uh, Kansas, uh, Overland Park, uh, Kansas, I got hired into a job as a new CEO um, of the hospital there. And part of my job was going to be to build a brand new emergency department and a patient tower uh, that was there. And come to find out in the first two weeks that I was there, the mayor and the city council said that not only um, did they not approve of this project, but I would not get approval to move forward uh, with this project itself, that I would not get approval uh, to move forward with this project. And so I then literally, not figuratively, um, went knocking on doors, um, hat in hand to the surrounding neighbors 
uh, where this hospital was located. And it was sort of in a, if it was in a neighborhood, if you can imagine it's a neighborhood hospital, you know, surrounded by an adjacent community that was there. And, you know, their big concern was, is that if you build a patient tower um, at five, uh, six stories, um, it's going to cause, and I'm not making this up, too much shade to go into my yard. Um, and it may ruin, you know, the nice flower bed and garden that I have here. That was an issue for some people. Some other people, the issue was traffic. And so I then worked overtime um, to say this setback of not even having council approval for the project, which means it's not going anywhere. Um, and I then went individual by individual and with plans and designs um, and making them part of the process, brought a committee together of made up of community members. Um, and those community members helped us design a small little park uh, and walking path uh, that was there, ran through and around uh, their neighborhood. We end up reducing the size of the physical structure so we can account for any unwanted shade that went into anybody's uh, backyard. We redirected um, the ambulance in terms of their entrance in and out of the hospital so we can minimize any kind of traffic or unwanted noise um, into um, the neighborhood as well. Uh, and then we went from nine out of nine council members saying no, absolutely not, uh, to having nine out of nine vote unanimously yes. And so very happy to see how that also turned around. It was initially a setback, um, but a setback I oftentimes see as a, really a setup uh, to something more successful moving forward. Um, and it all depends on how you look at taking that initial um, outcome and trying to make it better. That's another wonderful story, Damon. And I, I have to say, I am really appreciating taking some notes for the wrap-up themes I'll be doing at the end. Um, so it feels like we're learning a lot from your career path. And I hope our listeners agree, which is why I'm going to ask another question about uh, the journey you've been on. And it's this, what's the most important risk you took and why did you take the risk? So I will tell you, that's I, I love that question. And the one that comes to my mind most is actually Lee Summit, Missouri, of all places. And many people might not have ever heard of Lee Summit, Missouri. But at the time, um, I was a chief operating officer um, in Richmond, Virginia. At a, at a sizable hospital, actually so large, it had two large campuses. And I was a COO at the time, and I had a decision to make. I loved being COO. I loved it. I loved everything about COO. I loved operations. I loved feeling like I come in each day and I can sort of solve problems, remove barriers on a daily basis, get things fixed for people and help them out. The risk I believe I took at the time was... I went from a very, very large uh, hospital um, to a smaller hospital under 100 beds. This other hospital I was in was probably 548 beds between the two hospitals. I went to become the CEO of a hospital that was approximately probably 64 beds at the time in Lee Summit, Missouri. I didn't know anyone 
in the state of Missouri um, before I moved, or maybe I knew one or two people uh, in the state of Missouri, but I didn't know many people in the state of Missouri. I certainly didn't have roots in Missouri, but I decided to pack my family up um, and go to this place that we have never been together and become a CEO for the first time, a CEO for the first time. Uh, and as I look back, a lot of pivotal leadership skills that I've developed over the years really first started with that move um, to Lee Summit. I mean, it's one of these hospitals, if you ever worked in a smaller community, you have to be really part of that community, embedded in the community. It's a hospital where I felt like I walked in, I turned the lights on, and then when I walked out, I turned the lights off. Uh, one of those places. And you work in a smaller hospital, I, I learned very quickly, you have to be a Jane of all trades. I use that intentionally because I don't like to say jack of all trades. I don't know why we don't say Jane of all trades. Um, women usually do more than men, by the way. So uh, I wanted to be a Jane of all trades. And, and I wore multiple hats uh, at the time and just learned a lot about sort of community medicine, community health care, um, and healthcare leadership in general at the time. Uh, so I, I love that risk. I had people who said to me at the time, you don't want to work at a small hospital. You will, get, you will get lost in a small hospital, never to be identified as talent moving forward um, because no one sort of moves up uh, once they start working in a smaller uh, hospital. Well, I hope I've shown that's not necessarily true. Um, if you have both the opportunity and the talent uh, and you have good mentors uh, as well, um, then you'll be able to find the right opportunity for you, regardless of size, regardless of size. Let's pause for a moment to thank our sponsors who make this podcast possible. And for that, we truly appreciate them. Our premier sponsors are Epstein Ewan Architects, HGA, and Hush Blackwell. Our preferred sponsors are Hall Render, Findorf, Nutanix, and Quarles and Brady. For our new and emerging leaders listening to this podcast today, can you share what sort of behavior do you feel improves the culture of a team? Well, I don't believe I mentioned this, uh, but this is a good time to mention it now. Growing up in in and around Charleston, uh, South Carolina, I played many sports growing up. And I think one of the lessons that I've learned about being on teams, which really gets to, you know, what are the kinds of behaviors and traits to help improve the culture of teams is one, really feeling comfortable in your role. So it doesn't matter what sport you're in, many sports have different positions, right? And whichever team you're on, whatever sport you're in or whatever organization you're in, feel confident really embracing the role and the position that you're in and know that that role adds value to the team. Know that that role adds value to the team. And you can contribute with your own God-given talents and skills in ways that others may not be able to uh, even in the same role. So one, feel confident that you can contribute to the team. I will say if you're leading a team, if you're leading a team, 
I will tell you one of the things that I know have worked well for me is how you lead the team is best will be best defined by how others perceive you leading it. I tend to believe that service matters, serving uh, matters. And so one of the things that a lot of people will uh, hear me talk about is servant leadership. And to be a good servant leader, you have to be, I believe, you have to show patience. Uh, you have to show compassion. You have to have the ability to listen. You have to have the ability to bring out more in individuals than they would bring out on their own. And then you have to show that there is um, actual benefit in working collectively as a team than as individuals, as any individual itself. Um, and so for me, some of the uh, behaviors I believe um, help improve the overall culture of the team is most people like to win. Not win in a negative way where I win, you lose, but most people like to feel like what they're doing matters. It's important. That, that's winning. And so in winning, at least with most teams, I like to show people a clear path to what winning is. And winning, in my definition, is when we all are doing something for the greater purpose and the greater good of either our organization or the communities themselves. Um, and hopefully people feel better about the work that they're doing would lead to um, helping uh, someone else achieve their best life. Well, thank you, Damon. Um, that's a, a good segue into one of our last questions. We wanted to maybe ask more of a fun question. There's a rumor going around that you might have played some uh, collegiate uh, sport. And so uh, just as a kind of as a fun fact, uh, what sport did you play for what team? And then as a follow-up to that, and a little, and you touched on this a little bit, uh, what leadership lessons did you learn during that time in uh, college athlete, athletics? So I'm sure this is going to surprise many who are listening. Uh, once I give you, you know, my figures, if you will, I am a uh, very meek five foot nine, and I think I'm shrinking, by the way, 160 seven pounds, but I played football. I actually played football um, at the collegiate level. I, I played, I went to the Citadel Military College. Again, I mentioned that a little bit earlier and my position was wide receiver. I was wide receiver. So I, I tried to catch as many passes as I could uh, while playing football. Uh, and I will say, so I would say this, a leadership lesson that I learned, and this is a true story. Um, when I was a freshman, so 18 years old, it's hard to even believe thinking back that long, but when I was 18 years old, approximately five months from graduation in high school, uh, we were, the school, the Citadel Military College was playing the University of South Carolina, the mighty Gamecocks. Uh, in Columbia, South Carolina at the time. And leading up to this game, I was on the bench the whole entire time. I mean, I'm a freshman. Nobody really expected to, to play. Um, and there were seniors, upperclassmen ahead of me uh, who were getting plenty of playing time. But my number was called that day and the head coach yelled my name. Boat right, boat right. 
And so when I went up to the coach, he says, we're going to call a pass play just for you. Now, mind you, this is the end of the third quarter. It may have been like the last play or two in the third quarter going into the fourth quarter. And we were down. We were down in points uh, in that game. And no one thought we were going to win at all anyway. And so coach sends in uh, this small, even skinnier at the time, you know, freshman. And I'm sure everybody was thinking, this is the last place this ball is going to go is in the hands of a freshman. Um, but my wise, old, crafty coach, I'm sure at the time, Coach Taff uh, was his name. Um, he called my pass play, uh, and I was able to catch a long pass for 47 yards approximately um, and ended up getting tackled just at the 10 yard line uh, at the time. And we went on to score uh, in that game. So we went on to win that game uh, at the time. And it was a complete upset uh, that made the news uh, that this small military college, you know, beat an SEC team um, at the time it made the news. And so uh, it was great to sort of be part of that. So I would say one lesson uh, that I learned is to be ready. Be ready, even when you don't think it's your time and moment to do something special. And in being ready, have confidence that you have the skills and talent. If someone calls your name for an opportunity, they're calling it for a reason because they believe in you and they believe that you can do it. So you should believe in yourself uh, so that you can make that dream happen. Damon, what a, <laughs> I, I could hear like a movie, like theme song playing behind that story. That was a wonderful story. Thank you so much for sharing it. Yes, Damon. Uh, thank you very much. It was inspiring to hear your, your career path and uh, great advice at the end there to be ready. And uh, I'm just going to say, maybe you should be ready in case the Green Bay Packers need you next year <laughs> if Devante leaves. Um, but with that, I just, again, say thank you. Damon, this conversation has been a riot. <laughs> I've, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate everything that you've shared. It's, it's been fantastic. Thank you both. So with that, um, this is Janet, and I'll give a few of the themes that I jotted down as Damon was talking because it, it was a wonderful conversation. So first of all, I want to send a shout out to Karen DeMarco and her husband, Frank, for the divine intervention. I feel like I'd be remiss if I didn't say that because, boy, uh, did they give our healthcare profession a gift. So, so glad that that encounter happened, Damon. Um, secondly, wanted to um, talk a little bit about patience. The theme of patience came through quite a bit in our conversation today. And Damon, you clearly have been very driven in your career. And so patience for um, leaders out there, it's something that is a skill that actually needs to be learned. And I heard a few themes around patience. One is um, to trust that a no will take you closer to the right yes 
whether it be for you personally or for a project. Um, so, you know, you told us a story about your career path and, and some of the no's that led to better yeses. And the same thing unfolded in terms of patience uh, with projects that you encountered throughout your career. And then finally, I'll echo what David said. Be ready, listeners. Um, and Damon is a great example of that. Um, so with that, we're going to close out our first formal quarterly spotlight. Um, for our listeners, I'd like you to be aware of the format we're thinking of for this. Um, we have a list of questions that we'll always pick about four to ask our um, guests. Um, we'll vary them based on the guest's experiences so you get the most content from their wonderful career path story. Um, and then... Um, American College of Healthcare Executives Wisconsin chapter will periodically ask you, not knowing who the guest is, what might be a fun question to ask, just so that we create some diversity in what you're hearing on our Coffee with the College podcast. And with that, we look forward to you joining us next time. And thank you again, Damon, for a wonderful time. Thank you, everyone. <laughs>